Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you once again, and we ask you to join us here this morning. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm curious to know, and I don't think that there's any way to possibly figure this out, but I would like to know how many sermons this morning will start with something along the lines of, so about this new Star Wars movie. (laughs) Now, um, I did see it last night, I recommend it, but I'm not, um, not the kind of nerd who would start a sermon about Star Wars. I'm a different kind of nerd. I'm a grammar nerd. I'm no literary expert, but if you listened to Hugh read our Hebrews reading while you were looking at your insert, you noticed that Hugh said, consequently, when Christ came into the world, and that is how Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 starts. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, our, um, our little insert left that word consequently out But when I read just from the Bible and I saw that, I know enough about grammar and construction that that beginning of of a thought sort of jumped out at me. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, and so on. Consequently. As in, what we're reading now is a consequence of something else. You can't just start with consequently. That's not fair to the reader. It's like walking into a room and saying, consequently, I quit. (laughs) Or, consequently, you're under arrest. Uh, For what? Of what is this thing a consequence? What has happened to bring this thing about? So if you'll indulge me for a minute, I want to give you the context of this reading so that we might know the thing of which our reading today is a consequence. I'm going to start reading just five verses earlier, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And this is what we read. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. We are they who would draw near to God. That's a desire that we all share. Getting close to God is something that we all want. But how do we go about getting close to God? How do we accomplish this thing that is 
perhaps our heart's most dear desire to get close to God. Now, in the time in history that Hebrews is describing, worshipers offered the Lord their animals from the farm. Their best animals each year were offered to God. In this specific reading, he's talking about bulls and goats. And the offerings were an attempt to get God to look on the offerer with favor, right? If you offered something really good, the Lord might smile upon you. And this is what everybody wanted, to get that smile from God. Perhaps this offering of animals seems barbaric and primitive to you, like uh, tossing a virgin or two into a volcano to appease some pagan nature god. But I want to suggest to you this morning that this kind of thing, the, the equivalent of sacrificing virgins in volcanoes, is still going on all around us. And we, you and I are involved in this kind of thing too. We think we've evolved past it and we don't sacrifice animals and we don't throw virgins into volcanoes anymore. But this system of offerings in exchange for a heavenly smile is alive and well. When we think to ourselves, how do I get close to God? These are the terms in which we almost immediately begin to think. What can I offer to receive that heavenly smile? Perhaps you come to church even though you'd rather stay in bed. You've just thrown a virgin into a volcano. We give a larger portion of our finances to the Lord's work than we're totally comfortable with. Another virgin into the volcano. We give our time to serve those less fortunate than ourselves. We read the Bible even though we don't really understand it or particularly like what it has to say. Our time, money, and energy, our time, talent, and treasure has simply taken the place of the bulls, the goats, and the virgins that the ancients sacrificed to appease their gods. Now, don't misunderstand me. None of these things are bad. In fact, we should come to church. We should give of our finances and of our time. We should read our Bibles. The problem is that we're human beings, and we can so easily begin to convince ourselves that if our sacrifices are good enough, deep enough, and honorable enough, they will actually take away our sins. That that heavenly smile will come upon us because of what we've done and say, you know what, I'm happy with you. You're good to go. I'm doing pretty well, we might think to ourselves. Look at all I'm doing for God. And just like that, our focus has shifted from our need for salvation to an ongoing cataloging of our spiritual accomplishments. But listen to Hebrews, which comes in with the bad news. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls 
and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for your sacrifices to take away your sins. It's impossible for your perfect church attendance to take away your sins. It is impossible for you to tithe generously enough to take away your sins. It is impossible to serve the poor for long enough to take away your sins. It is impossible to read the Bible completely enough to take away your sins. There is nothing you can do, nothing you can sacrifice, nothing you can offer to take away your sins. Jesus Christ must take away your sins for you. And so here comes our transitional word, consequently. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and any other sacrifice to take away our sins, consequently, when Christ comes into the world, he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not really desired, but you've prepared for me a body. And he says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then Hebrews translate that into sort of plain English for us. He did away with the first, it says, to establish the second. He got rid of the sacrificial system with the bulls and the goats and the virgins and the good works and became the sacrifice himself. He did away with the first to establish the second. He did away with you having to sacrifice and established himself as the sacrifice. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, Jesus came to be a better way. As a consequence of our failure to offer a perfect sacrifice, Jesus becomes a perfect sacrifice for us. In just a few days, we'll listen as the angel makes this announcement. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Do not fear, says the angel, that your sacrifices aren't good enough. For today, unto you is born a sacrifice that can take away your sins. Can and does. During Advent, we await the coming of this Savior. At Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of this Savior. Every day, all year long, we worship the God who, rather than waiting to grant a heavenly smile to the one or two or three who have given him a satisfactory sacrifice, we worship a God who came to earth to live and to die as one of us, to become a perfect sacrifice for us, once and for all. Amen.